Welcome to the world of critical care. Today's episode begins our jump into sodium physiology. There are three specific topics I want to look at. The first is how our body regulates sodium levels and specifically looking at sodium's role in fluid volume status. So this will be our renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system. The second issue or kind of physiological process I'd like to look at is our neurons and the action potential and how it moves through our neuron body. And so we're going to look at sodium's role in the the functioning of our neuron. And then finally, we're going to look at the cardiac myocytes and the action potential that occurs with those and the way sodium is a critical electrolyte in their functioning. There's a lot of foundational material that's going to be covered here, and it's not unique to sodium because we're going to see potassium playing a critical role here. We're also going to see specifically in our cardiac cycle, we're going to see how calcium plays an important role. We're going to look at chloride. We'll also have a discussion a little bit of bicarbonate. And so this is going to be a foundational building block for our future electrolyte episodes. Now, I debated a bit if I wanted to make this one really long episode or not. And so what I think I'm going to do is release over this next week this in three parts so that if you just have 10, 12 minutes, hey, we're going to have a 10, 12 minute chunk here on our renin, angiotensin, aldosterone system. We'll have a separate one on our neuron and the action potential within the neuron. And then our third one will be on the cardiac myocytes and their unique action potential. I think that'll be helpful for people too who are saying, hey, I'm really just studying the cardiac cycle and I wanna understand the electrolytes better. Boom, we have an episode for that. And hey, we're looking at just the action potential in general. We're gonna look at it more in relation to the neuron. We'll have its own separate episode. But these three are gonna be released in succession here over this next week. And I think it'll really lay some good foundational work. And in particular, when we start looking at sodium abnormality, so hyponatremia, hypernatremia, we're gonna have this foundational physiology there. So it helps us then better understand the ways in which we could start to understand foundationally what's really going on in these abnormal electrolyte states. So let's jump into the topic at hand. How does our body regulate sodium levels? Now, most of this is all related to our kidneys and the level of perfusion our kidneys get. When we start to have decreased perfusion, so we're looking at decreased blood flow to our kidneys, our kidneys, and specifically the juxtoglomerular apparatus that those cells will start to release renin. Now, renin is a really important protein. It is an enzyme that helps convert something that is already in circulation in our bloodstream. So our liver produces angiotensinogen. And now what this does is the renin converts this to angiotensin 1. Now, angiotensin 1 
has now is floating through our bloodstream. Now remember back we kind of talked about these proteins and a lot of these enzymes are just doing proteolytic cleavage. So basically these long proteins we can start essentially from a molecular standpoint reshaping them, removing specific parts. And so a lot of these enzymes are facilitating that change in the shape of our proteins. And so when we we see these terms like angiotensinogen and then we see renin and we think what's really happening here, remember these are things floating through our bloodstream. They're in close proximity. And so when we release a enzyme like renin, it's going to interact with what's already in our bloodstream. So we've now have angiotensin 1. Now, specifically, it's mostly in our pulmonary system, in our pulmonary vasculature, but it does happen a bit in our uh, renal endothelium, so within the vessels within our kidneys, we have angiotensin-converting enzyme, or ACE. Again, another enzyme that converts angiotensin-1 into angiotensin-2. Again, we are just seeing some changes in the, in the shape and length of our proteins. Now, angiotensin-2 is critical. This initiates a significant chain of events. Now, remember... This is all in response to decreased blood flow to our kidneys. What do our kidneys want? They want to increase the flow. They want to increase perfusion. What this does is a few specific things. So number one, this will actually have a positive effect on our pituitary gland. And so this will have an increase in the secretion of antidiuretic hormone. So we can think of this as vasopressin as another term for this. What this is going to specifically do is increase water reabsorption in that collecting duct. And so because of that, what this will specifically do is we're going to see the sodium reabsorption occurring. Now, remember when our, in our kidneys, we kind of think of the nephron and the different tubules that occur and the way the fluids move through that. What's important to remember is that this signaling process, what's occurring here, is that we are now going to have our sodium, our chloride, be reabsorbed at a greater rate than previously was occurring. At the same time, we're going to see an increase, though, in potassium excretion. And so because of that, we're going to have sodium that's being reabsorbed more than normal in the vessels. And again, water is going to follow that. We always think of of sodium as that big driver for fluid volume status. So we are now having, we're retaining more sodium in our vessels. And so water is going to be retained at a greater rate. What's also important to remember is angiotensin affects the adrenal gland. So remember that adrenal cortex, that's again on the top of our kidneys, that's going to increase aldosterone secretion, which has a direct effect again on 
that sodium reabsorption. And so that's important to see that kind of interconnected play. Angiotensin II also, though, will affect our our arteries, so we kind of have that arteriolar vasoconstriction that's going to occur from angiotensin II. So that's also going to bump up our blood pressure. If you've ever been in critical care and you've had a patient on multiple vasopressors, you're on norepinephrine, you're on vasopressin, and you're not seeing that effect you want, and you're on high doses, maybe you're also on epinephrine, there's a kind of growing trend that you're seeing now with the research of trying what's called geopreza, so angiotensin II. And so what this does, you see here, is many times it can be a pretty potent vasoconstrictor, but it also has multiple other effects, right? And so here, one of the things that angiotensin do is causing that increase in the, the arterioles, specifically in terms of their pressing effect. Now, another effect of angiotensin II is also an increase in sympathetic activity. So we get a bit of an increase in sympathetic drive, which can again have an effect of increasing overall our our, uh, cardiac effects. So of course we could have an increase in heart rate. We could have an effect too where our cardiomyocytes are affected. And so all of this is in an effort to increase our perfusion to our kidneys. And so you can kind of see this in large part looking at it from a retaining sodium, which will help increase our volume status. And this is done through the signaling of angiotensin II into aldosterone and the way that the aldosterone then will affect this. We also see this through angiotensin II stimulating our pituitary to increase antidiuretic hormone, so vasopressin, which again will affect our collecting duct as well. And so these are the ways in which we see this process unfolding. So let's go through this one last time, I think, really just to drive home what's occurring. The kidneys are really the center of our regulation point here. Our kidneys start to sense decreased blood flow, and they go, okay, I need to increase flow to my kidneys. This is occurring again in those juxtoglomerular apparatus in these cells. What they're going to do is they they sense a decrease in perfusion. They're going to release renin, which renin is going to convert angiotensinogen, which has been produced by the liver, into angiotensin 1. Again, we're just seeing changes in these proteins. Angiotensin 1 is going to get converted to angiotensin 2 by angiotensin-converting enzyme. That ACE, that's mostly occurring on the surface of our, our pulmonary and renal endothelium. So that's primarily where this is occurring. Now, angiotensin 2 is in and of itself a potent vasoconstrictor, specifically from an arterial standpoint, but also triggers secondary vasoconstriction by the signaling of the pituitary gland. It's going to signal antidiuretic hormone secretion, which is also called vasopressin. Now, vasopressin has multiple effects. Remember, it causes arterial and venous vasoconstriction. But what vasopressin also does is it affects the collecting duct with water 
reabsorption to increase our blood pressure. Now, angiotensin II also affects the adrenal gland, so that adrenal cortex, and just above our kidneys, it's going to increase aldosterone secretion. What does aldosterone do? That is going to affect the tubular sodium and chloride reabsorption, meaning it's going to be reabsorbed back into our the circulatory system. Water is going to follow that. We're going to have an increase in fluid volume status. Finally, angiotensin II also has an increase in sympathetic activity. So we're going to increase our sympathetic drive because we have angiotensin II. Now, all of this will affect our sodium levels, but also you can kind of think of it as that effective circulatory volume because we're going to reabsorb water as we have reabsorbed our sodium. And so this is how we're able to, in a normal state, maintain our fluid volume status. Now, our body has a fairly intricate system of, of, of the baroreceptors in terms of how we do, you know, our, our vascular system is able to vasoconstrict or relax as needed to maintain stable pressures. And that's kind of for another discussion. But I do think it's interesting to see the critical role that sodium plays in our volume status here. Now, conversely, we can also have this from a negative standpoint, meaning if we are in a state where we are having effective circulating volume, then in that state, we're not going to be producing producing renin at the same rate. And so because of that, we're not going to see this system kicked into the same level or effect as if we have a, a normal circulating volume. And so that's kind of the way in which our body will naturally regulate our sodium levels. A final note on this episode, angiotensin II generally has a fairly short half-life. So it's typically a couple of minutes and it actually gets converted. So in our circulating bloodstream, we have these enzymes called angiotensinases, which will actually degrade angiotensin II to angiotensin III and then to angiotensin IV, which tends to have some stimulating effects, but they tend to decrease as we move from, from angiotensin II to three to four. And so these effects are not long-lasting. And so this is the way in which our body is able to very quickly adjust its need for our volume status, but it's not a long-term adjustment. And again, our kidneys are continuously adjusting that renin secretion to match the needs based upon the level of perfusion. Okay, so that is step one. So now our next episode, we're going to jump into specifically the action potential on the neurons and how sodium plays a critical role in neuron function.